0: This past Ash Wednesday, uh, we had begun our journey of uh, guided to the cross as the focus was guided to forgiveness and as we talked about repentance and what God does for us in forgiving us. And today, we're going to be focused on guided to hope with a special theme verse. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. What do you hope for in this season of Lent? What do you hope for this year, maybe this decade? Have you talked to anyone about hopes for the next century as we continue this one and go into a new one? Are we looking for something that's going to make us feel better? Or perhaps that's going to make things that are going to make us happy? Is it maybe a chance of some financial stability, finally? Are we craving companionship? Or are we striving for peace here in the world, in ourselves, families, communities? And are we looking for prosperity? Well, these are all nice things, and they're certainly worth being hoped for on some level. But the hope that we grab onto the most is the hope of the cross of Jesus Christ. The hope that we have in Christ and his cross is not like any other type of hope that we have in this world. This is a sure hope, a solid hope, one that is lasting. And the hope in the cross is not a a passing fancy of ours, but we know that it's one that we daily live by. And the irony of the cross is that it really doesn't look like an element of hope, does it? It was not initially a goal to strive for or a driving force of everyday living for people. It was a torture device. And we know that you know, this is why Jesus came at that period of time when the Roman government was in rule because when they would crucify people, that was their form of punishment for any criminal. But God chose to use the cross To win salvation for us all. How? Through that death of his sinless son, Jesus. And the cross provides us with hope, where once there was none at all. We were dead in our sins. We knew that we ain't we weren't able to save ourselves before the cross came along and Jesus was lifted up on it. Before that cross, we were lost in not even understanding of what was in store for us and not being able to see the big picture as God has seen it and his plans. And then the cross in Christ's death, it gave us a path to follow. And not only that, but we know that there is a heaven that awaits us. And in this life, we have a faith that brings us a better understanding of God's will to gather us together to him. These are the reasons we have hope. These are the basis for our confidence in Christ. And it's not going to fade away, just like the cross won't fade away. So how does this hope in Jesus express itself? Well, from Scripture, we learn that people can see the hope that we have in Jesus in a way that is special. It's a way that we live our lives. We love and we care for others as Christ loved and cared for us on that cross and we approach hardship and suffering with a, a calm and peaceful attitude as we go through it. We're not bothered by the tragedies and disasters of this world because we know that there's a world to come, a world in which we will be safe and we'll have be the people who are blessed forever. But these are not the ideals, are they? We know that the reality and our hope is not always as strong as it is in Jesus. We doubt at times. We question. And there are times when we are afraid. And we know that we need to be reminded of those who followed Jesus on the way to the cross. Even though Jesus told them again and again, those disciples really did not want to believe that Jesus was going to suffer and die. They doubted the cross. They questioned it. And when it was happening, what did they do? They ran away, they hid, and they just fell into a a deep type of hopelessness and despair, that feeling. And at the cross at Calvary, well, one of the criminals on that cross next to Jesus, remember him chiding him? He said, are you not the Christ? If you are, save yourself and us. That criminal was essentially saying that he had no hope in Jesus. And that question of his... It was really one just to mock Jesus. The soldiers on the time in those hours beforehand, well, they were the ones who also acted in a similar fashion. They put a purple robe on Jesus. They took a staff and said, you know, here's your scepter for a king. And then they put the crown of thorns on his head. And they end up bowing before him in fake respect as they said, Hail, King of the Jews! they had no hope that jesus was any kind of king or savior at all those people at the pavement when they were standing before a beaten and bloody jesus who was presented to them before pilate you know they had no hope in jesus whatsoever either and they cried out in loud and angry voices crucify him crucify him crucify him the people who walked past that Calvary cross and saw Jesus hanging there, they thought that all hope was lost too. And they shook their heads in dismay as if to say what a shame. You know, This did not turn out the way we had planned for and we thought it would go. Their hopes were dashed. Only the criminal on the cross at the right side of Jesus showed that he had hope in what was happening before his eyes. In the person of Jesus on the cross He says to the other criminal, don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence that we are of condemnation. And we indeed are justly condemned, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. That criminal knew that Jesus was not guilty for anything, but he himself was. He knew that he deserved death, and Jesus didn't. He knew that he couldn't save himself, that only Jesus could. And so these hopeful words now, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The repentant criminal there, he had confidence that there was a life beyond this one. Only through Jesus. And Jesus' response to him is of very assuring words. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That salvation in Christ was a reality that day for him. And it's a reality every day day since. There's hope in the kingdom of Christ. And that hope is never fading. Do you need a little reminder of this fact? Well, fast forward to the day of Easter, after Jesus has risen. And the two disciples are going from Jerusalem to their hometown in Emmaus and they only know that Jesus had died on that Friday. And along the way in the journey, a stranger begins talking to them. They don't recognize that it's Jesus. And when Jesus asks them what happened over the past days, well, they talk about Jesus in the third person. And they say you know, about how he had been killed. And you can hear their sadness. They said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And in that moment, the Emmaus disciples had no hope in Jesus. But Jesus, in his miraculous ways, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus restored hope to their hearts. And the disciples, they realized that their hearts were burning within them. They were burning within them with hope. As Jesus is talking to them, and when they recognize Jesus as he broke bread in their home at that dinner time, What was the first thing those Emmaus disciples did after they recognized Jesus and that hope burning within them? Well, they ran to tell the other disciples that Jesus is alive. And that's what hope does for us too. It compels us to tell others about Jesus, to tell them that we're excited about that good news and we want to share it with them so that they have that good news of salvation also. St. Peter reminds us of this drive when he says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. And yet do it with gentleness and with respect. Let's look at those verses around that, when he says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are really zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Don't be troubled. Have a good conscience so that when you are really being slandered at times, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ, they'll be put to shame instead. First of all, Peter says that we are to be prepared. Prepared to share our testimony you know, it may happen later when you leave here at McDonald's or Panera, if you happen to go out for some breakfast there. It may be when you're sitting at the doctor's office and there's that person sitting right next to you. It may happen Monday morning at work. Or it may be at a White Sox game. You can tell who I like. And I predict they will not have 100 losses this year, Hopefully. <laughs> It might be at a music concert. Wherever it is, we know that the deceiving thing is that we often believe that, well, we'll get another chance to speak to that person. There'll be another time to share with them later. There'll be time. But that time may never come. The ideal window of opportunity may never come again for you. How many people have there been out there where we wish we had testified to them and they're now out of our reach? We don't have contact with them. Don't delay in getting that good news out to others. Secondly, we are to keep a good conscience. You know, that refers to our own spiritual life and to any sins that we have in our lives. If you're not right with God or if there's some particular sin that just keeps eating at you, well, it'll be noticed by unbelievers, and therefore your witness will be ruined. Instead of receiving that good news, they'll mock you. This is serious. Because unbelievers, they see hypocrisy very clearly. And it destroys any chance that we have of witnessing. So it's crucial that we practice what we preach. If we say we love our enemies and pray for them, well, do it. There's nothing that an unbeliever picks up quicker than hypocrisy when we point out the faults of others, and yet we're doing the same thing, perhaps even in secret. Third, we're not to be afraid. This is probably the number one reason why we don't give our testimony of our faith, because we're afraid of others. We're afraid of being mocked or laughed at or ridiculed. Maybe like we feel like we're going to be made a fool. We're afraid of losing friends. Or we don't want them to look at us and say, well, who's that religious freak? Well, you might say giving testimony. That's the job of the pastors or mission evangelists. And I'll support them in prayer, and that'll be my testimony. Friends, is that what Jesus said? Even in the book of Proverbs, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom rather than the fear of man. Be afraid that your unbelieving neighbor is going to hell. Be afraid of the judgment that would be falling upon that person if they don't have that good news in them. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Did you know that the word in the Greek New Testament for witnessing is martyria? And we get the word martyr out of that. And those who gave testimony for their faith, they did not fear, even to the point of death. They assumed that they would be rejected. And even in these words here, when he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. The early Christians considered it the greatest honor to be able to suffer for their faith. That's what brought them the greatest joy. What's happened to us today? We're not willing to surrender our own comfort to Jesus. No one likes to be rejected. And so, what happens? We hold back at times. How God needs to break our fears of people and instead to fear the wrath of God that would fall upon them if they don't know about that good news in Christ. Fourth, what are we to share? Well, he says here, the reason for your hope and joy, your personal testimony. Yes, we ought to know specific verses and points that would lead a person to Christ. Every one of us ought to have at least a few Bible verses that share that good news of the gospel. That's just simply a matter of personal discipline. What drives you to share with others that hope that is in you, in Christ and the cross? Maybe it's a profound spiritual moment that you experience in worship. It might be perhaps a recovery from a particular illness or injury. And it might be one of those aha moments when you're praying and reading the Bible yourself. Our interaction with Jesus and our relationship with him, that's what produces amazing experiences through the Spirit. And that can empower us to do what? to live faithful and active lives for him, first of all, and then with the confident hope that we know that Jesus is going to be with us every step of the way. As we speak to others, we're speaking those words of Jesus to them. We know the road to the future, and we know about that way to heavenly joy forever. So be guided to the cross in Lent. Be guided to the hope that you find there. And also be blessed in your moving forward in faith with confidence and assurance that Jesus, who was crucified, he is risen, he's ascended, and he's coming again. And we know that he'll always be at our side until that time that he physically returns. We know that he'll teach us along the way. And he'll make our hearts burn within us for him. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. Amen.